And we're back. Awareness to action. Enneagram podcast. Um, I'm I'm a little scared. I'm supposed to be asking a smart question. I'm afraid that I might get shut down. How many times um, have you thought about asking this question, Greg? <laughs> well, it's just kind of been in the back of my mind, and and I mean, in all of my conversations, every single one of my conversations, like, why does Mario actually think that he's right? I mean, what makes him any better than the rest of us? Yeah. <laughs> Not better, Creek. Just, just smarter. smarter. Yeah. Yeah, and no, and, not the- and he talks in a declarative way. When I learned that, when I understood that, yeah. it made my life so much easier. <laughs> So I'll share a quick story to illustrate this, right? So uh, years and years ago, I'm, I'm, I had a real job and uh, we had to go through this, you know, personality style training, okay, that was like this quadrated model of, uh, you know, drivers and analyticals and, you know, um, a, you know, some kind of pleaser type and so forth. And so, of course, I came up on the square as a driving driver, right? Uh, <laughs> Double dose of whatever exactly right and so 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 they had they put me into an exercise with the the amiables they're called right and um and so they give us this exercise to do and you know we're doing the exercise and we gotta you know help each other out and so forth and then they come into the room and they say to all the amiables okay you amiables can only now make declarative statements Okay, and Mario, you can only ask questions. Okay, and so they're going around and they're trying to make declarative sentences, and and they can't, right? They, you know, they kept having to, you know, force themselves into. It. And then it came my turn to try and give, you know, instructions by only asking a question. And so I said, "Well, you put this over there, okay?" <laughs> so, so yes, I can be overly declarative. Yes, um, but that yeah. wasn't really the question. So go ahead. No, it wasn't question. really the question. But but there is there is something to the question that I wish I would have asked uh, the last last couple episodes was when it comes to the pattern of expression and, and in a lot of just your model, you've you've changed a lot of things, and I think it's for good reason, but. What makes the pattern, your view of the pattern of expression, that, that order, even though it's not really a stacking, right? What makes that not falsifiable? Falsifiability is the attempt to disprove something through a test, okay, through an experiment. And. <laughs> Should I be taking notes here? <laughs> Professor. Well, falsifiability. (laughs) Oh, boy. All right. So, so, take take two. two. No, no, no. That's that's, that's staying. We'll keep that in, right? Because it's staying. Okay. So, so, what was the question? Falsifiability. Yeah. What makes a pattern of expression? Why are you exempt <laughs> from from the uh, falsifiability standard? Exactly, there it is. Yeah. So, uh, because in this case, the falsifiability standard doesn't apply. Quite frankly, all right. And, and no, no, no. Let me let me explain. <laughs> You're the exception. <laughs> Got it. The rules this don't apply me. to me, Creek. <laughs> now, see, 
see, what we were talking about before when we were discussing falsifiability was causal mechanisms. Okay, we were talking about does some is somebody a type because this happened to them, right? And so you're uh, you're positing a cause in that case, right? That can't be tested. Okay, so therefore it's non-falsifiable. I am not suggesting, for example, I, I forget exactly even what we were talking about, but say, for example, you, you know, because one of the common ones is, you know, childhood relationships with the parents, okay? Now, I'm not suggesting that a particular type might express, yes, I don't feel like my mother loved me well enough, okay? But did that cause them to be that type? I don't know. Did they experience that because they were already that type? and therefore interpreted their environment that way, could be? Or are they just falling victim to confirmation bias and say, oh, the teacher told me I'm this type because my mother didn't love me enough, and I can find experiences of my mother not loving me enough. Okay? So when you're talking about a causal mechanism, you have to apply the falsifiability test. Okay? Now, when it comes to the pattern of expression... I'm not claiming there's any cause in it. In fact, we were explaining that we stay away from any cause, right? We're not saying that it happens for a particular reason, although we could. So we're, we're not making any sort of um, causal claim. Now, what we are doing is uh, sharing our empirical experience. Right. Empiricism is uh, making assessments about something either through testing or through observation. Okay. And so the pattern of expression, as we describe it, is the result of our observations of people you know, in the world and how they act. And so we have observed this pattern. And even though I think it happens all the time, I can't prove that because I haven't met everybody yet. Right? So there's 8 billion people on the planet. There might be some out there who do not fit the pattern. I don't know. But in my experience, everybody has. Okay. As with any uh, phenomenon, you have to start thinking in terms of probability. Okay. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm a skeptic by nature. And if you go to radical skepticism, you know, the kind of like David Hume, you can't be... You can't believe everything is going to happen all the time because we just don't know. You don't know with 100% certainty that the sun will rise in the east tomorrow. But at a certain point, you have to start acting as if it will, right? Mm. Or else you just can't live your life. Okay, You can't know for 100% certainty that gravity will work. Okay? But I have to act as if it will, because I've seen it enough times without exception to start saying, you know what, there's something to this. Okay. Now, the other question that you didn't ask has to do with confirmation. That was a smart bias. question, Creek. <laughs> See? Okay. Okay. It was a smart question, yeah. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. but I mean, yeah, you're about to get into it, but that that was going to be my follow-up question is that how what makes your observations of the instinctual biases any more 
or less valid than how other people yeah, approach it. Especially them. when we see somebody who doesn't, they don't see themselves kind of fitting in this, into this pattern. And then we say, no, it's because of these, we rationalize uh, the observations so that they do. And I do think that it applies to everyone that I've met at least, but it could be that we are falling victim of confirmation bias. So what I tend to say regarding this is I am not trying to talk about somebody's inner experience. I am not trying to talk about what someone is. I'm describing specific patterns, and it's also why I'm not saying most, second most, third most when it comes to the instinctual biases. I'm saying the patterns that I tend to see in people is that one of them is one that takes up a lot of their attention and they have enthusiasm about. Another one they have inner conflict about. And another one they don't pay enough attention to because they don't think it's interesting. That I have not seen an exception to in practice. Okay. Now, when I do uh, work with clients, I do 360 assessments of them. And I've done hundreds of these over the years. And so I have data that shows me what people's patterns are. Okay. And when I do a 360 assessment, I ask three questions. First question is, what's this person good at? What do they need to get better at? And where do you see them in the future? I purposely ask open-ended questions so I'm not leading the feedback, right? And it has just been my experience over and over and over again, and so far without exception, that for preservers, their weakest area is in the transmitting domain, the most underdeveloped. For navigators, their most underdeveloped area is in the preserving domain. And for transmitters, the most underdeveloped area is in the navigating domain. Okay. Now, again, there's going to be people who disagree with that, but they're going to define those terms in a different way. right? They're going to talk about social instead of navigating. So once we're agreed on the definitions, which may be different from other people, right? and if you're using a different definition, then that's fine. What I'm suggesting doesn't apply to different definitions. But to these definitions, to all the empirical experience I have over 25 years, it holds up. Maria Jose, what do you have to say? I agree. Um, <laughs> Great, yeah. so that's the end of the episode. No, I agree, <laughs> but it, it, it just, I think that although I agree, it's something to be aware of, something to continue to pay attention to. Yeah, I, I would love. Would you, really? I would love to see an exception. <laughs> I'd be shocked, but I would love to see a genuine exception to mm. the pattern, right? Because I would learn something. I would see, hey, wait a minute, there's something different going on here. And quite frankly, I'd have to, I would get to stop defending this idea, you know, which I've been <laughs> doing for 15 years or so, right? Um, and, which you know. Which would be difficult to do on yeah. some level. It would be difficult to do, but it would mm -hmm. be a sign of intellectual integrity. Uh, and I've too. seen people mm -hmm. who, for different circumstances, have developed 
skills and habits that are different to what we understand through the pattern of expression. Or it has to do with their strategy, their preferred strategy, or there are different reasons. And to me, it doesn't really matter because if we go back to understanding that the Enneagram is a model and they're all wrong, but some are useful, this part of the model, the pattern of expression is useful most of the time. And I think that it's valid for that reason. I also think that it's important to remember the difference between skillfulness at something, which can be learned, and attention to something, which is kind of innate, right? Uh, And I'll say non-deliberate, non-intentional attention to something. Because I can point to um, navigators who thrived in finance roles or operation roles. And people will say, oh, well, that's all preserving stuff, so they must, you know, be good at it. But each one I talk to, it's a learned skill that is not something that they really enjoy. And if they had the option, you know, their mind would tend to go away from the actual preserving parts of those roles and more to the navigating parts of those roles. It's like, um, you know, we've talked before, I think, on this podcast or at least other places that a lot of women feel compelled to do preserving stuff, right? Uh, but they're not preservers, okay? And if you look at the, them from the outside, you would say, oh, you know, she, you know, she cooks, she cleans, she does this, she does that, uh, must be a preserver. And a lot of women identify themselves as preservers because of that, but they're not. Right? They're just somebody who is doing things, doing tasks or behaviors that we associate with that instinctual domain. Okay? So what we're talking about here are, are non-intentional focuses of attention. Mm-hmm. Okay? And since we live 90% of our lives non-intentionally, it's a lot of our lives. Mm-hmm. Well, on that... Any other questions, Mr. Smarty Pants? <laughs> <laughs> No, but th- this is an important topic because you have mm-hmm. to keep challenging these ideas, right? Um, otherwise, dogma sets in. And everybody who's a teacher of anything keeps to, has to keep asking themselves, what if I am wrong? How mm-hmm. do I know I'm right? What is the, you know, how could I set up some sort of experiment to see if I'm wrong or not? Mm-hmm. Right? Look for counterexamples, okay? I just haven't found any yet. When do you know when you're not making as large of leaps of inference? Like, how do you know I've done enough work with confirmation bias that I know that I, there's there's some level of dependency I can put on this idea or concept? Yeah. Uh, so that, that's, a, that's a little bit complicated because it's not like you can keep a score, right? But... You know, I think that's something you have to feel. But here's here's the here's the process to protect yourself from that. You gather the data first, and then see if it fits the pattern. Okay. Now you can go into some. You know, so for again, uh, right now I'm doing an assessment of an organization. Okay, a leadership team, and I'm asking them questions: What's working well? What's not working well? Right? What things are getting done? What things are not getting done? And I just started doing it, so I don't know how it's going to turn out. My suspicion is that it's a preserving organization, 
and therefore some of the navigating and transmitting things are going to be underdeveloped, okay? But I'll wait and see, and I'll look at what the data says, okay? And again, the data has to be that I collect what's working well and what's not working well, right? It's not, oh, are you guys preserving or navigating or transmitting, mm. right? I wouldn't go in and explain the concepts and then say, which of these are you? The Enneagram is secondary. It's absolutely secondary. The Enneagram is a tool to solve a problem, mm -hmm. okay? And that problem is improving performance and helping people see the obstacles that get in the way of change. That's a whole other rant we could probably go on. But the, the more I've gotten into the Enneagram, the more I'm, I'm less interested in being a quote-unquote Enneagram person, but rather just a skilled user of the Enneagram. Yeah. That also has that is more focused on the flourishing of myself and those around me, and whatever tool fits the job, then that's what I want to do. But I see so many people where it's like they have one tool in their toolbox, and it's the Enneagram, and it shows. Yes, yeah, you're absolutely right, and we see this all the time with people going into organizations, for example. Right, I'm seeing more and more of this these days with people. You know, they're teaching the Enneagram somewhere, and somebody sees it and says, "Hey, can you come do this at our company?" And they don't understand that teaching the Enneagram in a church or in a self-help workshop or something is different than teaching it in a company where they don't when they don't know anything about business, they don't know anything about organizational dynamics, and they go in and just think that the same ideas are going to apply and I can just take this tool and solve your problems. They can't because those folks aren't interested in being Enneagram experts either, right? They're interested in improving performance, improving communication, increasing collaboration, and so forth. So the Enneagram's just grist for the mill. For us, what we're really selling by lack of a better word, is the awareness to action process, right? Of how to how do you help people change? Okay. And the Enneagram types and the instinctual biases are just the variables that we slip into the awareness to action process to help people develop awareness, create more authenticity, and then express new actions. Uh, so with that, dear listener, um, hopefully some of your questions were were qualmed. Is that the right word? Qualmed? No. Uh, qualmed? <laughs> what does that mean? Qualmed? I'm, I'm not sure if qualmed is a word, but uh, I, I have no qualms with that, right? So that's that's interesting. I don't even know what Quelled. the word is. Quelled? Quelled? Quelled is the word I want. I, I'd stick with answered. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Mr. Big Words. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Um, hopefully some of your questions were answered. Blah. Um, and, and we hope you'll continue to uh, be curious with us as we move forward into strategies and other concepts with the Awareness to Action model. We'll see you next week. See you. So long, guys. Thanks for listening to the Awareness to Action Enneagram podcast. If you're interested in more information or talking to Mario, MJ, or myself, feel free to reach out to us through the links in the show notes or by emailing info at awarenesstoaction.com. All episode transcriptions and further information can be found at awarenesstoaction.com slash podcast.